0: Church, as you are having your seat, if you would, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, if you have a Bible or if you have a device or... They'll also be on the screen, but we would really encourage you uh, to bring a Bible with you. We just believe that it is the very Word of God, and we want you to be marking in that thing and to be learning to treasure it and bringing it with you and highlighting it and writing all in it so that uh, it's just a familiar thing to you. So, um, And if you don't have a Bible, would you come grab me after service, and we would love to get you one. We would love to get you a copy of the Scriptures because we... I think it is the most treasured thing that we have. So we are continuing in a series that we're calling Rhythms of Remembrance, where we're walking through some selected psalms. And so what we're looking at, and we're anchoring our souls and our hearts as we remember all of who God is. We remember what he's like. We remember what he's done. We remember what he's done for us. We remember the promises of God. And as you walk through the psalms, this is what many of their themes are all about, is that God's People, God's children would remember all that God has brought them through and all that God has taught them and all that God has formed in them and they use those as anchors in their current everyday realities to have them walk through this life that we are on. So these rhythms of remembrance are so important. In fact, we this isn't just something we see in the Psalms, but uh, these rhythms of remembrance, this call that we would be a people that remember who God is, is a mega theme in our scriptures. In fact, uh, the book of Exodus is this wonderful story of God delivering his people out of slavery, of him saving and rescuing, bringing them out of wilderness, wandering where they're not sure where their next food source is going to come from. But God provides and God provides and God provides. And then he tells them as a people to build this temple. And in this temple, they're going to come and they're going to worship their God, who they remember, brought them out of slavery and brought them out of wilderness. And God even establishes in this temple things that they would do every week, things that they would do every month, and things that they would do even yearly and seasonally to anchor their hearts to remember the God that rescued them. Jesus tells us the very same thing. He says, even in the Lord's Supper, this, this last meal he's sharing with his disciples, this most intimate setting. He takes these ordinary things of a meal and he gives it whole new meaning and he anchors it into remembrance. That's what the Lord's Supper is. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember the blood of the new covenant in my body broken. So this idea of remembering God is found all over the scriptures. And so this This morning we are going to be taking a look at Psalm 16 and we're going to be building upon some of the psalms that we've looked at over the past weeks that are anchors for our souls. Uh, We looked at our devotion to the Lord. We looked at our rest in the Lord. We looked at our humility in the Lord that we would ask him and we would actually raise a hand to say, I need your help, God. And now this morning we're going to see David crying out to God as the source of his contentment. The source of his contentment and joy in the face of really crippling anxiety. Crippling anxiety. And I think this is timely for us in a season right now where there is so, so much to be anxious about. So Psalm 16, I'm going to read it in its entirety and then we will walk through it. God's word says this. Preserve me, O Lord, for, I take, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in this land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And in the night also my heart instructs me. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is a beautiful psalm. So as I think about the psalm, this is uh, how I would summarize it. This is sort of the main point of this psalm. I believe what David is communicating here, what God's word is communicating to us here is that God will bring you through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure if he is your refuge and he is your treasure and he is your sovereign Lord and he is your trusted counselor. That God will bring you through life and death into full and everlasting pleasure if he is your refuge, your treasure, and your sovereign Lord and your trusted counselor. And so all I wanna do with the rest of our morning here is try to think the thoughts of David as we walk through this psalm. I want you to feel his affections and feel his emotions as we walk through this wonderful text. And it's important to see at the very outset, the very beginning of this psalm, is that this is a plea. David is pleading with God. He's he's pleading with me, it's it's a petition, it's this great request, look at how it starts. Preserve me, oh God. He's crying out to God. He's making this petition. Now, we don't know yet what he is to be preserved from or for. But I think as we move down, it's going to become more and more clear. And it really does matter, but we won't get there quite yet. But this whole psalm, this whole text of the scripture is shaped by David's desire in this petition that says, preserve me, oh God. Now, he moves forward from this petition by declaring and exalting in what God is for him, or remembering who God is for him. So he starts with this plea and this petition, and now he's going to remember, but God, this is who you are for me. This is who you are for me. And notice this connection between the declaration for God and his petition. You can see it here in verses 1a and 1b. If you have those little, uh, those little add-ons in your Bible, it says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. In other words, preserve me, God, because I take refuge in you. I declare that you are a refuge for me, therefore preserve me. I declare that you are the safest place for me, so preserve me, God. David is declaring and remembering all that God is for him as the ground for his great hope in God that God will preserve him. And so David is remembering who God is for him. So let's follow him and see who God is for him here where this psalm leads, for in you I take refuge. So God is a great refuge for him. He exalts God as his safest place, in other words, a place where he can go, where he knows no harm will come of him. I turn to you for safety above all else, God. Of all other ways of being safe that I can run to, God, I choose to run to you, because in your presence, I will find my most safest place I could ever imagine. You are my safest refuge. That's the first thing David does. He declares and remembers that God is his safe place of refuge. I'm not turning to any of these other places. And then Psalm 16, 2, he goes on. And then he says, I say to the Lord. That's like all caps, Lord. And that means uh, this section is a little confusing because in the English, it sounds like he's saying the same thing twice. Right? It sounds like he's saying, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Like, wow, what? You wouldn't say, uh, this is my friend Sean. His name is Sean. Right? It just kind of sounds a little clunky, and you're like, what? This is, what is, that doesn't sound right. Is that grammatically even correct? Here's what David's getting at here. Here's why, if, if we dig into this, this is so important. He says, I say to the Lord, all caps, that means Yahweh the proper name of God, I say to Yahweh, you are my lowercase Lord Adonai. I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. I say to my Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I remember all that he did for all of the centuries, for all of my people, and I remember all of who he is and what he's like and uh, what he has given to me and the promises that he's given to me. I remember you, Lord. I say to you, Yahweh, you are my Adonai, my master. You are my sovereign strength. I say to you, Yahweh, you are my Adonai. So it goes perfectly together. You are my sovereign master. He's saying, I remember all that you've done. I remember all you've done for my people. And you, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are my master, my sovereign. And so he exalts, David is exalting in God's sovereign rule in his life. And as he trusts in the very sovereignty of God, this one that came through for all of his people before him and that his promises were never broken and will not be broken from him, contentment begins to wash over him whatever he's walking through, even in the plea that he made that we're not even sure what he's making it about. He exalts in God's sovereign rule over his life because Yahweh is my master and I will bow to no other. Now this, this is huge. This is not, that sounds made kind of like clunky and seminary-like and doctrinal. This is the opposite of that for King David. This is not just a doctrinal assessment. This is not just... Kind of something he 's saying to try to teach someone something let let 's listen to this listen to the language at verse two, you are my sovereign, you are my lord, you are my sovereign master he 's saying personally, this is who you are to me. this is not just some junk drawer doctrinal thing that I learned in a class once that has no meaning and bearing in my everyday reality. This truth of who you are is is paramount for me to walk through this life. You you guide and control all of my steps. You You are my master, and he wouldn't have it any other way. You are my refuge, God, and you are my sovereign Lord. He's clinging to God. Maybe this morning that's you. You need to just be clinging to God as your safest refuge and as your sovereign Lord. In the second half of verse 2, he says I have no good apart from you. God is his highest good. God is his highest treasure. So what is David saying? He's saying all other goods only are good because they're found in you. You are my highest good. You are my ultimate treasure over everything else in my life. I have no good unless you are in it, God. That's what he's saying. So David's saying, God is my safe refuge. God is my sovereign master. God is my treasure. And he's remembering and exalting in who God is he's almost preaching to himself. He's preaching to his own heart because he just made this plea that God would rescue him from something. And now he's telling his own heart to say this is why I believe that he will come through for me. So if you've never preached to your own heart, you should try it. And just open up the Bible and preach those words to your own heart, especially in the places you don't believe them because it's really helpful. This is what David does. Um, So then Psalm 16.3, he underlines and he emphasizes God's value to him by what he says about God's people. Um, He says, when it comes to people, he says, these are the ones, David says, these are the ones I take my most joy in, my most pleasure in. Listen to this. It's the godly people, he says, I want to be near. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. (laughs) All his delights, his joy, his pleasure. It doesn't mean that he delights in people over God. That's not what he's getting at here. In other words, David's saying, of all the different kinds of people in my life, Of all the people that I'm surrounded by, including the powerful people, the influential people, the people that could scratch my back so I could get ahead in this world, the people uh, that are propped up by this, that, and the other, he goes, those are not the ones I'm going to run after. The the people that are most precious to me, that bring me the most lasting joy, are the people that are chasing after you, Lord. Lord that find their hope in you. They are the excellent ones. And my delight is in them because you are their God. And I just want to be around them because I want to be around more people that point me to you, that remind me of who you are. Those are the people I want to be around, David says. Church, do you long to be in the presence of God's people like that? It's biblical, that we would have a joy of being around the people of God and that it would bring you delight. Is it messy? Yes, it is. But is it glorious? Yes, it is. And then Psalm 16, four, um, he he kinda of goes about it now in a negative way. So in the Bible, there's all, these, there's all this terminology about the Lord will bless you if you do these things, right? And those, we like those. Those are like, yes, I wanna do all those things that he will bless me, and those feel great. And then there's also a lot of things that says, and if you do these, I will curse you. It's God trying to get at the same thing. Don't do these so that you can walk in this. Do these things so that you will get more of me. It's The blessings and the curses of God, their aim is the same thing, that we might get more of God. Stay away from these things because it will trip you up. Run after these things because you get more of these. And so in Psalm 16, David shapes this in a negative way, so to speak. And so he values God so highly that he would not even run after any other God or any other idol. There is no other God. Listen to this, verse four. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. In other words, he says, it is folly to turn away from the all-satisfying God, to embrace gods that only leave you sorrowful in the end. These other gods, they promise you a lot of things. These other things that we run after in our lives, they promise you a lot of things. And David's reminding us, they do not deliver. In fact, your sorrow will multiply when you run after it. David says, not only, not only do I not want to run after it, he says, I don't even want the name of these other things. just I don't even want to taste it. I don't even want it on my lips. I, want it, I won't even utter it. I won't even utter the, another name of another God, another idol. I won't give my time. I won't give my resources. I won't sink my teeth into it because it will produce nothing but sorrow. I need nothing else but God, David is saying. I'm content with God. All these other things that try to steal my affection, I don't need them, in fact, I don't even want them on my lips. I won't even even dignify them by talking about them. I mean, we could make a whole list of these things right now. I'll list a few. The God of money, that's a huge draw. The God of success, the God of status, the God of having the perfect suburban image. The God of being in the right group of friends. The God. These good things can even become idolatrous things if we run after them. The God of pleasure above the real God. Um. He says, I will not bow to those because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and I only want him. I remember the Lord and I'm content with him. Verse five, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The Lord is my portion and my cup. Um. Back in verse two, he says, I have no good apart from you. And here in verse five, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. So David is, he's almost painting a picture. It's like a feast. It's like a banquet table. It's like this great hall and this table before me, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these these wonderful portions that we could have. These Delicious things and these, the best of wines are laid out before me, and I could pick from any one of them. And they're all right there for my taking and for my grabbing, and I could just have them and I could digest all of them in their goodness. And David is saying, I look at all of it and I want that one. That's God. He is my greatest satisfaction. He is my greatest need. He has all that I need and all that I could ever want. He is my chosen portion of all the other portions laid out before me. I want him. He's my treasure. In the second half of verse five, you hold my lot. In other words, when the dice are rolled, so to speak, the straws are drawn, the wheel is turned, whatever analogy you want to use, that it seems random and it seems like life is just sort of uh, random colliding events going into one another. David's saying, whatever happens to me, whatever happens to me comes from the very hand of God because God holds my lot. I put all my hope in him. He knows all. God decides it. God rules over my life. My God is sovereign. My Yahweh is my Adonai. He's my sovereign Lord. And I'm glad to have him so. In fact, it brings me tremendous joy. It's like a warm blanket and a cold night. The fact that God has me and my life isn't random. I don't have to figure it out on my own. But the Lord has me. He's taking joy in this. The sovereign Lord brings contentment to our restless, idle-seeking hearts. Um, he said, and he doesn't just affirm it stoically. He says that he exalts in it. Church, if you embrace him as your sovereign Lord, uh, then verse six will be true for you as we go on let this content your heart. Verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He's saying, I trust in God for how my life is going. He holds it all. Therefore, these, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. He's remembering all that God has promised to him. Now, what he talk what are these lines? These lines were probably a lot of scholars believe they're border lines, or they boundaries appointed for him by God. Um, so David is essentially saying, "Because the sovereign Lord is my master, I'm content with the arrangements of my life. Why? Because I see my life as being providentially ordered." as being providentially ordered. And then he goes one step further in verse seven, exalting God um, for him. Not only is God his refuge and his treasure and his sovereign, but God, this God, is his counselor. Listen to this, verse seven. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So this is not a small and significant add-on. This isn't just a tack on here that he's adding. So trusting God as your counselor affects how you experience God as your refuge and as your treasure and as your sovereign Lord and King. For example, God is a refuge in part because of how he instructs or guides, or counsels you into his safety, right? So it's not like this automatic thing. It's not like you just say, God's my refuge, and I'm just gonna do whatever I want. Sometimes he gives you refuge in spite of you, because he's sovereign and he's in control. But he also gives us his word that counsels our hearts, that know now where we can go find our refuge in God and God alone. He counsels you through his word, the very spirit of God, right? So he's, he's instructing our hearts. He counsels how we are to find him and meet with him and how he's to be our treasure. He's our treasure in part because he is our great counselor. He's not just precious to us because of the beauty of his character, but because of the beauty of his counsel, his word, his word becomes beautiful to us. It becomes precious to us. It becomes a treasure to us because as we read the counsel of God and the word of God, we learn to treasure it and trust it because it is our safest refuge. And as, like it says in, this, in, in verse seven, in the night also my heart instructs me. His heart is instructing him in the dead of night when he's worried and anxious about something, and the counsel of God's word comes to him. And that is what he clings to. Not his own, like, thoughts. The counsel of God comes in and gives him comfort in a dark night. So we've seen that God is a safe refuge. We've seen that he is our sovereign Lord, that he is our treasure, that he is a counselor. And now he's going to go from um, petition to declaration in verse 8. Verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. This refuge, this sovereign, this treasure, this counselor, I will not be shaken. Now this is not a request anymore, this is like a declaration. Because I remember all of who he is, because I trust in all of who he is, because he is my treasure, because he is my refuge, because he is my counselor, he says, the Lord is always before me. He is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. I'm content. So this is the way I understand verses one through eight begins with this aching longing, preserve me, O God. And then he preaches the word of God to his own heart and all the promises of who God is and what he knows of God. Because he's all of these things and I anchor my hope in him. And then he ends with, I will not be shaken because all of those are true of my God. I will be preserved, I will be kept. He has me so I can be content. I don't want any other God, I don't want any other stuff. I'm not gonna chase after vain idols. I'm not gonna have them on my lips. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All I want is him, all I need is him. I will not be shaken. So the pathway from petition to this bold declaration is resting and exulting and being content in remembering who God is and who He is for us. I love this song. I love Psalm 16 because David. This Psalm 16 brings me a tremendous amount of hope. Why? Because David begins this psalm like I begin a lot of my prayers. Help! God, help me. I don't know the way out. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what's next, Lord, help. Right? He he begins by this, this plea. God, preserve me. Help me. But then he ends. He doesn't stop with just saying help. He remembers and declares who God is for him. He tells his own heart. We have to do this or we'll never move past. Help me. Help me. We need to get to where David got to. Lord, I remember that you are my safest refuge. I can trust you. God, of all the other things set before me, you're my highest treasure. I just want more of you. And God, you are sovereign and you are in control and even though my life may feel chaotic and random and frightening at the prospect of what lies before me, uh, you, you have ordered my steps and I can trust in you. And so we can move past just a petition to a declaration of all that he's done for us and then we can say, I shall not be shaken. And on the basis of that confidence, we arrive at joy. We arrive at joy. That's where the psalm ends. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore, forever and ever and ever. You are the source of my joy. When I've rooted my heart in these things, I can live this life and I can find joy even in the craziest of circumstances because you are with me. So I think about it this way with the few minutes I have left. There's so much here. I could preach for weeks on this. David's building this ladder. And it starts with, help me, God. So if you are a person in this room and sometimes you just have to cry out, you have to be okay and admit your need and say, help me, God, and and declare your need that you need the Lord to enter in. That is a beautiful thing to pray to the Lord. But I'll say, don't stop there. Don't just stop there. Remind your heart of who God is and all the ways that he's been near to you, all the ways that his word has guided you, and and preach those to your own heart using the word of God. And then you'll be confident not in your way, but in God's way. And then we go to this whole other level in verse nine, so to speak, okay? Because we see the word therefore. So what therefore, anytime, like the old adage, anytime you see the word therefore, you gotta ask, why, therefore, right, yeah, okay. What are you tracking, right? So, he's, verse nine, therefore, therefore what? In light of all this stuff that I just said, in light of all of these realities of who God is, therefore, here's, here it is, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. He's exalting and remembering all of who God is. I will not be shaken, which leads to this deep rooted joy in God. My whole being rejoices. Now we get to the point where we find out what David is begging to preserve him in. Verse 10. And I think it's all of our greatest fear. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. God, I don't want to just dissolve in a grave one day. I don't want that to be the end for me. I don't want death to be the end of me, O eternal God. I want to have confidence in God and have joy in you because you have not abandoned my soul. You have not forgotten me in death You've not left me. David's petition in beginning, in the beginning is found here in verse 10. I don't want to die. I don't want to be dissolved. I don't want death to be the end of it for me. And so this joy in verse nine is based on the confidence that I will not be shaken because of verse 10 because God, you will not abandon my soul. You will not leave me. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. And then verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. Life, life. You will not abandon me and leave me in death. You will make known to me the path of life. That's what what David's pleading with God about in verse 1. Don't give me up to death. David's joy and contentment in this life is rooted in a God who will not forsake him and will not abandon him and will not leave him in death. David is saying, you are the one that preserves me. You are the one that keeps me, and I want you forever. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, At the very end of this psalm. Now, one I don't, I don't have a lot of time. One thing about the psalm: here's the problem with Psalm 16. King David dies. King David goes to a grave. Is David pleading to God just for wishful thinking? Is de- is it not like an actual death? Is it like a? Is he pleading that God would? What's going on here? David dies. Some of you are looking at me like, well, he's just prayed for eternal life, but David died. So is the Bible wrong? I have like four minutes to wrap this all up. <laughs> or I might just say to be continued. And... Now we have to remember something. I think that we can do this. This is the rhythm of remembrance. This is a big part of it. King David knew something. He had to remember something about what the Lord had promised him, or he would have never said this. King David had been given a promise through the prophet Nathan that came to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. It's going to be on the screen behind you if you don't have time to, to flip there. And it says this. When your days, this is a prophet. For this is the, the word of the Lord that comes to David through the prophet Nathan. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father's, you're going to a grave where your fathers went and you will die. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. David knew from God's word, from the very voice of God that he would die and he would lie in a grave like his fathers did before him. But God would set one of his descendants on a throne. It was not a succession of kings in his lineage that would just endure forever. No, God would set one on a throne who his kingdom would endure forever. Unending reign and would not die in the eternal kingdom. In other words, David lived with the knowledge that a king was coming from his seed, and he would be in his line, in his father's line, and that this one to come would defeat death, and he would not see corruption like David and his father's, and that kingdom could be eternal. David lived in that remembrance. He trusted in that very promise of the word that was given to him from the prophet. He said, I will lay down in a grave with my fathers, but one is coming that will defeat death. And he will sit on his throne forever and ever and ever. And David knew that because of what God had revealed. And David treasured it in his heart. David's great hope that contented his heart was in the promise of the coming Jesus coming Messiah. Now, if you're like, I don't know, that's a stretch. Uh, I don't have time to get into it. Peter interprets Psalm 16 in the exact same way in Acts chapter 2. Go home and read Acts 2. Peter, the apostle, quotes this Psalm that we just read and interprets it in the exact same way that we just discovered that Nathan gives us that window into Jesus, the Messiah, the long-hoped-for, the final king of kings, allows death to swallow him up for the sake of mortal sinners. But before death could digest him and he would experience decay and turn him into dust, this one that sits on his eternal throne kills death and gives to you and I the promise of everlasting life to those who trust in him. In the the same spirit that raised him from the dead, he now gives to you and I so that we can, like David say, do not abandon my soul to Sheol. Do not let me experience corruption because I know that one has come that has vanquished death and I put my hope and trust in him and I will live and reign with him forever one day in glory, my great King Jesus. We have the benefit of the New Testament here. David had the benefit of God's word and he hoped and he trusted in it. Romans 8, 11. it's not gonna be on the screen, it says this, the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. We can pray that same prayer that David prayed because the spirit of the living God resides in us, given to us by King Jesus. Here's our question in closing. What are the marks of the people in this room that trust our risen king in that way? I think it's the same that Psalm 16 just lined out for us. Do you exalt God as your safe refuge? Do you exalt God as your greatest, greatest treasure? Do you exalt God as your sovereign Lord, your Yahweh Adonai? And you exalt God and cling to him as your trusted counselor and treasure all that he says to you. And when we do, it contents our heart and we find our ultimate joy in the risen Lord Jesus Christ saying, I will not be shaken. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word. And God, I pray that we, like David, not on the basis of our own works not on the basis of our own understanding even God but on the basis of your counsel and your word and the fact that you are our treasure and the fact that Jesus came and defeated death and swallowed it up and all that now trust in him can have life and life everlasting we can say to this day I will not be shaken because you will not swallow me up in death my life is secure in you God God Help us as a body. Know that you are our chosen portion. You are our path. You are a lamp unto our feet. Help us to get more of you. We long to know you in that way. And God, for anyone in here that doesn't know you in that way, there's no magic prayer. If the Holy Spirit is moving on them right now, God, I pray that they would open their lives up and say, you be my Yahweh Adonai. You be my God and my sovereign Lord and master through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection and you will not taste death. Lord, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church, let's stand and let's sing as a response to this great and glorious wonderful news that we are wrapped up in as believers in